Welcome home. I'm Dr. Tama, a minister, licensed psychologist, and sacred artist. And this is Homecoming, a podcast to facilitate your journey home to yourself. While I will provide weekly inspiration and mental health tips, this podcast is not a substitute for therapy. I'm so excited you're on the journey. If you want to request specific topics or share your progress, email me at homecomingpodcasts at gmail.com. Also, after you listen, be sure to like, subscribe, and share. Let's begin. Welcome back, Cojourners. I am glad you're here for another episode of the Homecoming Podcast. And when we started season two, I invited you all to submit your poems on your homecoming journey. And we have a poem submission for this week from Destiny. And if you have written a poem or written vows to yourself, you can send them to me at homecomingpodcast at gmail.com. So here are Destiny's vows. I'll read an excerpt from them. Vows to myself. Wow. You are absolutely amazing. I mean, I have literally never met someone as amazing as you. You are literally everything that I hoped and prayed for. You're so woman that Whitney and Shaka made the song an inspiration of you. Love is your name because it radiates through you like a star being cracked open. Your light is so bright that even a blind man can see can absolutely see that your smile was specifically crafted by God. I mean, there was no rush when God created your smile, sis. Your eyes, nose, skin. Wow, your skin is popping. Who knew melanin could look so magical, like making a wish during a shooting star? Knowing, believing that it would become manifest. Your skin is a manifestation of magic. Even the elite magicians couldn't fathom, grasp. Woman, you are spirit-filled, whole, complete by God, anchored in words, God's words, promises, walking, walking by faith. In faith, you move. In faith, you see. In faith, you hear. You hear yourself clearly because you listen. Oh, how you listen, not just to self or to spirit, but to those you love, you care, you care deep deep as ocean's core, finding ways to break the barriers of that wall because nothing can limit your love from crashing through, tearing down walls meant to protect heartbeats, to protect beats from breaking, crumbling back to pieces. You pick them up to help bring them back to life, not to fix, but because life has broken yours consistently and you know what it feels like not to be loved or heard, seen, protected or respected, chosen. Sometimes people forgot to choose you, so you know, your heart knows. But I vow to always love you with my mind, body, and soul. I vow to protect your nose with firm boundaries. I vow to you that I will listen to you clearly, vividly, and actively. I vow to you to always speak life, not just over you, but for life and throughout life. I vow not to be so hard on you. It's okay to not be okay or to make mistakes, or to not be where you thought or expected yourself to be. It's okay to not be perfect. That doesn't make you unlovable, or evil, or even less valuable, because you are absolutely valued, treasured, validated, anointed, chosen, safe, 
whole loved and enough by God. Continue trusting and growing and involving in God, sis. As we go on this journey, I vow to go deeper with you, allowing Holy Spirit to speak and reveal truth in divine moments and times. I'm so excited for you. As we continue forward and up, I can actually see where God is taking you. And man, oh man, it's a beautiful sight. I love you. Destiny, Dion Goss. Yes, Destiny. (laughs) Destiny, you wrote that poem. We felt it. We felt it. And we are lifted by it. Thank you so much for that heartfelt message. And it is right on time for our theme on today. Today, actually, I am answering your relationship questions. So you all write to me about suggested topics, and we have received a number of requests to answer specific issues and challenges that have come up around relationships. And I did not want to answer these questions by myself. And so I have another expert with me on today, Stevon Lewis. Steve Ahn is a licensed marriage and family therapist, speaker, and corporate consultant. In his private practice, he specializes in working with adults struggling with imposter syndrome. He has been a featured expert for various major television and media platforms, including the Oprah Winfrey Network, Bustle Magazine, Thrive Global, and Entrepreneur Magazine. Steve Ahn, over a decade ago, was my student at California State University, Long Beach, and now he is one of the leaders in the field. I am so proud and excited for him to join us. And so welcome, Steve Ahn. Thank you for having me. I am, I am really excited to be here. This is going to be fun. Yes, it is. So let's get started. Well, actually, before we start, let me ask you, Stevon, what is helping you to manage, cope, navigate, survive uh, during this pandemic? Oh, that is an awesome question. Uh, so for <laughs> me, my go-to self-care activity is cycling. Uh, I love mm-hmm. to get out on the bike and get out on the road and pedal. It's something I can do by myself in a socially distanced way. Um, and it's fun and restorative for me. So that is like my thing. If I miss that on a weekend, I feel it the next week that I'm not kind of as restored and as refreshed as I would like to be. Uh, yeah. But that, that's my that's my really good go-to. I like to get out and, and, and cycle some miles, you know, 30, 40 miles or whatnot. Oh, well, you for real. That's, yeah, that's yeah, some real. That's and everything. Real. I'm, I'm legit out there. I probably shouldn't be, but I'm in it anyway. That's <laughs> great because we know one of the things we've talked about on the show is how we often hold stress in our bodies. And so our healing and wellness is not just a mental exercise, but also working it out, right, in yep. the body. So that's, that is great to hear. All right, so let's start with our first question. Should a person in a new relationship share past traumas or past abusive relationship details with their new partner? So what are your thoughts, d Uh So that, that's a it's, a, it's a twofold, I guess, kind of twofold answer for me. Mm-hmm. That uh, part of it is, when we're kind of recovering from a toxic relationship, uh, and this one was traumatic, and it sounds like it was a marriage, not sure how long, uh, you know, that lasted, we definitely need to kind of do our own work to heal from that sort of stuff, um, especially when traumas are involved. Uh, I know you you work more with trauma than I do, uh, but it's it's an a, it's an experience that we probably didn't want to have to endure, and now we're also stuck with kind of carrying around. 
Um, and so then, you know, that follows us uh, places, I think, uh, in terms of because it has an impact on who we are, how we see the world and how we navigate. Uh, and so then, you know, being able to kind of make sure that we are processed through and dealt with that in a way that we allow ourselves to present our whole selves, I guess, to a new relationship or in a new relationship. Um, and so that could be kind of, you know, some work that needs to happen. Hopefully this person has gotten to some of that stuff uh, to be able to kind of heal from, from that experience. Uh, the other part is, uh, I guess, that I think is about the sharing of, of past traumas and stuff that impacts us. So I am a huge proponent kind of when I work with couples about uh, being open and transparent. Um, and so if it's a new relationship, I think, you know, I guess I put some caveats around that in the sense that uh, I don't know that we divulge all that is our past or histories on the very first day or very early in the relationship. I am a firm believer that uh, people have to kind of graduate to that level uh, because mm -hmm. if I'm going to be vulnerable, I not I got to know or have some confidence that you're going to be a good steward of that information about me, right? That you'll be protective with it. Uh, and I guess like the analogy I would use is if I'm buying a car, if I first get to the dealership and the first thing that they ask me is, well, you know, how much money do I have? Or they want to run a credit check before I've even looked at a car and found one. I'd be a little bit uh, leery of that and I wouldn't be prepared to tell them. But at some point, I would think that, you know, I got to expect I'm going to have to share, uh, you know, wh wh how much money I make or, uh, you know, what my credit score is so that the dealership can make an assessment about whether or not they can kind of give me a car. Uh, and so I think the same kind of applies with a relationship that at some point you're going to have to share some things because it may not just only be impacting you but also the person that you're going to be in relationship with. And I think that people have a right to know what they are signing up for and what they are agreeing to, and uh, that that should be done kind of, I guess, sooner rather than later, but not so soon that you're uncomfortable and the person hasn't proven that they are uh, going to be a good steward of that information. Such important points, and I, I appreciate you raising them. One is that piece about taking time for our healing because, you know, a, a broken heart it really can disrupt so much of everything and also can cause us to lose confidence and clarity. And so taking that time for restoration uh, can really be important. And I also know that with trauma, especially if it was a relationship issue, that a part of the healing can also happen within relationship. So it's not that, oh, I would say like, oh, I'm all done. Like I'm finished. I'm perfect. I don't you know have any wounds or scars left, but that there is an internal process that we don't want to skip and only focus on uh, replacing it or getting someone else to be connected to, um, but for us really taking time for our own wellness and refilling of that well that has been drained in those abusive relationships Another piece I would add is uh, when I am hesitant to share my story in general, it's often important to think about why. And, I, and I'm not even saying in a romantic relationship, but a lot of us carry secrets and sometimes we're carrying secrets because the shame is still very much alive. So if my thought is, I don't want people to know because I'm embarrassed and I'm fearful people will think less of me because a part of me thinks less of me, uh, then that can also be an indicator of some additional healing work for me to, whether with romantic partner, friend, family member, whoever, for me to get to a place where I can shatter the silence and the shame 
uh, because many of us are locked in secrets and the secret is being um, reinforced by our ideas about ourselves. Um, and then sometimes those secrets are reinforced uh, because of being protective of the people who hurt us and not wanting people to think badly about them. So it's really important to, to look at what are the ideas that I have bought into that are keeping me silent, separate from who it is I'm disclosing to. So once we work through my internal healing and my barriers um, that are keeping me silent or making me have a secret, then when we actually get to the idea of a relationship, I uh, would definitely agree with you, Stevan, that disclosure and sharing is important and pacing is also important. So for me, on a first date, I wouldn't give someone like all of your wounds. One, you don't know what that person is carrying. Not only, you know, can they handle what you're sharing, but that could be triggering for them if they also are a trauma survivor. So when people kind of show up for coffee or for a movie or in COVID, people are doing like online dates, whatever that is, um, or talking on the phone, there's a certain level of expectation that is there in terms of the depth of the sharing. And so, you know, to is uh, we, we reveal ourselves over time. And I know I've worked with some people in the past who have said, well, that's a part of my identity and I'm not going to be ashamed or I'm not going to be silent. And I feel you on that, on not being shamed and silenced. And I also think it's important to be mindful of the person I'm speaking to, right? Not only can, what is it going to feel like for me if they're not in a space to receive it, um, because sometimes it's a setup for disappointment that we're wanting people to respond in a particular way and they may not be prepared or equipped to give you that response um, or, you know, just stunned about what to do with that. And the other piece is I, you know, would like to remind survivors that um, our traumas are a part of our story, but it's not the fullness of my identity. And so sometimes when we're really in a hurt place, we can present it such that people are meeting our wounds before they meet us, right? So yes, uh, to share and to not stay in a place of shame. Um, but as Stevon was, was saying, to do that over some time uh, to, to give their uh, opportunity for you all to get to know each other and share you know, more and more of yourselves as time goes on. But I want you to know, trauma survivors who are listening, that it is definitely possible to have healthy relationships after that. And that's one of the beneficial things of group therapy is often you get to hear other survivors who are at different stages who can then tell you about their experience now being in new relationships where they are treated better, where they feel better, um, that are really healing. So great question, and I think uh, that will be one that many people who are listening can connect with. All right, so the next question is, I would want you to address the issue of lost love or how to be okay with someone not loving you back. I have only loved once in my life. The person fell out of love with me. I am the one that can't let go. I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop caring. 
I can't stop wondering how things are with this person. I keep having this hope that everything will be all right again between us. Even though we have had this conversation earlier this year, and this person preferred, I don't text too much. I can't help how I feel. I can't bring myself to love someone else, or rather, I haven't seen someone worthy. Every day, I pray for strength to heal completely from this kind of love. But everything remains in me of our time together. Every song, I think of a lot of moments we had, and I cry a lot about us. I know I need to let go and accept what we have become, but I don't know how because this heart of mine is still so much in love. Please help me. All right, Stevan, what do you say? Uh, so there's there's a, a lot going on here. Yes. Uh, so for, I mean, I'm assuming your audience is, is pretty uh, familiar about kind of maybe the therapies or styles of therapies. Um, I know that we kind of practice a style of therapy or part of the work we do and the way we work with clients uh, is, is around cognitive behavioral therapy or rational emotive behavior therapy, uh, mm-hmm. which is a fancy way of saying that we believe what we think impacts how we feel and that mm-hmm. impacts our behavior or what we do. Um, so part of what I'm listening for when I work with people is a lot is contained in language. Uh, mm-hmm. I am a big proponent of words being intentional and that what we say is communicating a message. Uh, and what we don't say communicates a message. Uh, communicates a message. Um, so in, in this, like some of the, the language that I, I kind of attach to are, uh, you know, falling out of love with me or I can't let go. Um, and so I think, you know, what that says on a surface level is that I'm stuck here, right? I'm yeah. still in this place um, with this person. And it sounds like this person may have moved on. Um, and I think part of the difficulty is that the underlying message or the meta message, you know, as kind of Deborah Tannen calls it, is that we, we, we haven't, we've decided or we have a false narrative that we've adopted that this was the person for us. Mm-hmm. And so it's a little bit more difficult to let go of if we've told ourselves this is who is for me, right? Mm-hmm. So that it's going to be a lot tougher to kind of move forward or move away from this relationship if we've determined that this is, this is the person I'm supposed to spend my life with. So what we're getting in reality, the fact that this relationship isn't continuing, isn't really what's supposed to be happening, right? There's that demand there. Um, And so part of it is that there's this amount of time that's being spent focused on what I've lost, right? What's not supposed to happen. So I'm in a place of where I am am frustrated or upset about not being in this relationship um, because this this was supposed to work and and it's not. And it's harder to move past that. Um, so I think that it's important for us to kind of evaluate whether the narrative we've adopted about a situation or a relationship or another person is actually accurate, right? That it is based in reality. Uh, you know, part of me believes that uh, if this is the relationship for you, then that's how that that person, uh, the universe or, or God or someone would have communicated that mm-hmm. to them as well. Uh, hopefully, if it's supposed, mm-hmm. to, it's supposed to be and that, you know, our heart can't kind of move on or we're stuck in this place. Because you know, we're spending a lot of time focused on this past relationship or what was supposed to be and what we didn't get. And I think that, you know, we aren't allowing maybe for other things, uh, kind of like our, our field of vision is being shielded. Mm-hmm. And we aren't seeing maybe other opportunities uh, for relationships that could be healthy or could be better. Uh, I think part of that narrative suggests that this was the relationship for you and also that nothing else that comes after it will be as good. And unless we can kind of forecast and tell the future, then I don't know that to be true. And it's hard for me to accept that. 
right? That there couldn't be another relationship with a person out there that may be 10 times better than what this one was. But if we stay kind of where we are, you know, we may never experience that. And so I have a belief that we, you know, kind of grow. We can't grow from a place of comfort. And while this is uncomfortable, also it might be an opportunity for us to experience something new and better. So important. This, you know, the points that you raised are critical in terms of our words matter, including not just the words we speak to other people, but the the words we speak to ourselves, right? The story that I tell myself that I can't, right? That I can't move on. I can't have anything else. This is all I will ever have. And I can't let go, right? So being careful about language and uh, speaking of language, what stands out to me as I'm reading is um, the question in the first sentence, how to be okay with someone not loving you back. And so what that raises for me is, what is it in your life experience before this relationship that made someone not loving you back attractive and or acceptable? What is familiar in your life experience about pursuing people who are not showing up for you, loving people who are not returning love for you, and really needing to heal the original wound. And so, you know, did you observe that in your parents growing up? Was that your relationship with your parents or between them of seeing demonstrated for you, this is what love looks like, you know, showing up for people who demonstrate to you that tell you they don't care about you. And sometimes those are the messages that we have received directly or indirectly. And so a part of the healing is going to be, I am no longer going to pursue people who do not see my value or my worth or see it, but are not interested in it. That in a lot of ways that becomes a part of the criteria that if you don't see or don't appreciate uh, who I am or who I could be for you, then immediately that uh, eliminates you from consideration, which I think uh, is another important part of this which is respecting the boundaries of the other person. So this other person has requested um, that you don't text them and then you have their too much. Um, and so you wanna really hear this, that someone has told me they don't love me and please don't text them too much. So it's really critical uh, for us to think about not just our feelings, but to really hear what another person is saying, right? To really take that in because what I have found is often we fall in love with potential, potential of who a person could be to us or what this relationship could look like if they loved me. But the reality is what they are speaking and uh, continuing with their behavior is that they're not there for it for whatever reason. They're, they're not in it, uh, they're not with me. And so it's really important that we honor people's boundaries as I start to even think about um, stalking or harassment um, or simply 
uh, making people uncomfortable who have said, I would prefer that this not continue, right? And, you know, we want to really hear that louder than our own desire. Because it's one thing for me to say, I want you. And then if you say, you don't want me, but I ignore that and keep saying, but I want you, right? Then uh, that that can lead us to engaging in some problem behaviors as it relates to the other person. But then also internally, I was agreeing with what Stevan said about cutting off the opportunity for actual love, for mutual reciprocal love. And so you wouldn't really know if anyone is quote unquote worthy or if anyone else would be able to treat you well because this person has been the center um, of your life or the center of your focus, your imagination, your fantasy, your dreams and your prayers. And so um, I would encourage you, since you mentioned being a person of prayer, to not only pray about um, getting healed from, you called it this kind of love, of loving someone who doesn't love me, but I would begin to, in your prayers, ask God to help you to open you up to new experiences, uh, to open you up to a new vision, new sight, to be willing to create some new memories. Because right now you're replaying old memories and it also, uh, I would encourage you when you're replaying the memories to try to remember the good and the bad. Because sometimes we have painted over the ways in which we weren't treated well or the ways in which we were dismissed and we're just clinging to the great moments. And so when you reflect on a relationship uh, we don't want to fall into the trap of either idealizing it and saying everything, everything, everything was perfect or saying like the whole thing was garbage. But like, can I remember the other parts of it, the ever other moments of it, which will help me to put it more in perspective instead of the picture that in some ways I have created. And so my hope for you and my hope for any of us who are listening on today is that you would become uncomfortable being in pursuit of someone who does not love you, that it will become uncomfortable for you, unacceptable for you. And from that space, your heart will be freed uh, because it is no longer uh, serving you. It is no longer honoring you to continue to, in some ways, participate in a setup for disappointment. And so I wonder if you can, where you are right now, just speak out loud to yourself. He does not choose me, but I choose me. Right? He did not choose me, but I choose me. And again, he did not choose me or she did not choose me. They did not choose me, but I choose me. And I know it is a process, but it is definitely possible. And I know that we have many listeners on who have been in that place that you're in. So I want you to know you are not by yourself in terms of having a broken heart and not being able to imagine anything beyond this moment. Uh, but there, there is life beyond this moment.
All right. So the next question, um, let's see here. I wondered if you could consider doing an episode on rebuilding trust after it's been broken and being able to move forward. My partner broke my trust after six, about six months ago when he flirted with a woman he had previously casually dated. I found out the same day through her telling me about it. Since then, he has done a huge amount of work to rebuild my trust and has shown me that he is ready to be the partner I need and not let that happen again. He has acknowledged how much pain this caused me and that it was completely wrong. However, I find myself constantly thinking about the other woman and I get worried about her, she, and he possibly doing that again. Would you address letting go and moving forward in a healthy way after trust has been broken and how to rebuild the relationship? All right. Well, what do you say, Stevon? Uh, this is a, a good one. Um, trust is a, a difficult thing to kind of restore. It is easy to break or get rid of. Uh, so it, it is one of those things that can be easily lost and a little bit more difficult to kind of reestablish. Um, there's, a, there's a few things in here that kind of, I guess, jumped out for me um, that there's there's a part of where it sounds like uh, her partner has done what mm -hmm. needed to happen uh, to kind of mm -hmm. restore trust. Uh, so it sounds like, you know, they've done some things to show up in a way that uh, she is wanting uh, them to show up and to be there for them and communicate to her that they are ready to be the partner that she believes they can be and deserves them to be and also wants them to be. Um, the thing that really jumped out for me is uh, I think sometimes this happens with trust, right? Is that like the person who, uh, you know, is the transgressor uh, needs to to do some things to kind of, you know, rectify or, or uh, you know, make amends for for breaking trust. And then there's a point at which the person who is the aggrieved, I guess, is, you know, needs to get to a place of where they are OK to start moving forward. Um, it sounds like she's saying that uh, she's gotten to that place. But part of me is kind of not sure about that. And, and here's why. Um, it sounds like she's saying that he's done a lot of work and she sees that and she's super proud of it. And the part that's causing her issue is she's saying she doesn't trust this other person. Um, and so that like there's this other woman and she's getting worried that, you know, she'll get him to do that again. Uh, so for me, again, with language, I have an issue there uh, yeah, yeah. because it doesn't hold him accountable for the behavior that he engaged in. You uh, better come on, Steve Vaughn. She's saying that this other woman has power or sway over him to do something and control him to make him engage in a behavior that he didn't want to be a part of. Um, I don't know that I agree there, right? She's monitoring this other woman, but it doesn't sound like uh, she's at a place where she really does trust him, right? Like maybe he has done a lot, but also he hasn't done what she needs in order to trust him anymore. Uh, that, you know, I guess the way I think of it is I don't like licorice, right? The black licorice, I do not like the taste of it. I don't know that someone could get me to eat that uh, because I don't want it. <laughs> However, <laughs> you know, it sounds like based on, on this statement that there is something someone could do to get me to eat that. 
Uh, and I think that that's where where the the part is is getting. I guess for me, that's resonating with me that I'm having a real issue for. And it's okay if she's not at a place of where she's ready to trust him again, or you know, trust her partner again. That he's not, you know, maybe he has worked and done a lot, and he's you know tried to do that. But also, if if it's not enough, then that's okay. And maybe it's you know uh, in stages that he's done some stuff, and then we feel comfortable. And if she doesn't feel comfortable uh, later in the relationship, we revisit that and talk about that and say, hey, I'm not comfortable. Here's why, and we discuss more of that. Um, but I don't think that it's healthy for her to kind of monitor this other person that's not in their relationship, uh, trying to police them and their behavior and, and wondering, and I don't want to say stalking, but, you know, obviously spending time monitoring what they're doing or if they're going to have some power to convince him to do something that he may not have wanted to do or, or be a part of. Uh, I think it's more of a thing about having the conversation about what, what, what does trust look like uh, for her? and uh, how to get that reestablished, and if if her partner has actually done that. And if not, then the conversation should go to how he can, you know, I guess get around to to reestablishing trust and, and what that will look like for him and, and get them to have buy-in about wanting to do those things. Mm-hmm. So important. One, as you name, her noting that he has done work to rebuild the trust. And that's important uh, because sometimes people want to like give an apology and be done, right? Like I said, I'm sorry. Like, so get over it. Don't bring it up again. But as you mentioned, to rebuild trust takes work and takes time. So it does say uh, something. It is significant uh, that he has been doing that. Um, It is challenging that the way she found out about it was through this woman telling her. Um, and so then that is an additional, um, breaking of trust of not only did you do this behavior, but then you have this other person coming to me, kind of, uh, putting it in my face of like, oh, you think you're with this person, but this is what they're saying to me. Um, but then that issue of taking responsibility, right? Because she said, um, that he had flirted with this woman, but then she's concerned that the woman will cause him to do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm glad you raised that because it is very important, especially when we start talking about gender roles, is a lot of times the way people language things is that they are just these like terrible women who are just out seducing people. And it's like, oh my goodness, how did this happen? Um, and that there has to be responsibility and accountability Um, for choices and for action. Um, And so, you know, it is possible. And, uh, you know, in this particular situation, it was, you know, about uh, them flirting with someone they used to date. Um, But there are also people who are trying to heal relationships or marriages um, after infidelity, and not only emotional or flirting, but actual physical, sexual uh, infidelity. And so uh, knowing that that process also involves work to rebuild trust, that um, uh, an apology is insufficient and that um, the relationship will uh, change in a lot of ways, that because that trust has been broken, people will often uh, require more. One, they may have a lot of questions so they can kind of feel like they have clarity about what happened. And then uh, there, you know, the person in the aftermath may face more 
uh, questions in terms of like their their going and coming or what they're doing. And so when someone is really in a place of remorse, then they they get that right. It may be hard to like feel like, you know, um, you're reaping the benefits or you're, you're dealing with the consequences of your behavior, but you get that like you have created this dynamic. So you have to do the work. Um, versus when someone isn't really sorry and gets an attitude with the person um, who they have harmed, right? So we want to be mindful of whatever the level of the relationship or whatever the specific action is that broke the trust to continue trying to communicate uh, and knowing it is a process and a journey and that um, it, it will not be easy and it is possible um, and so it's important to look at that. And then, you know, for there's the, the, the couple part of healing the relationship, but then there's also the individual part, the interior part in terms of um, if your confidence was broken, if you're ashamed or embarrassed, if you're humiliated, right? Like all of those things needing to heal those wounds as well as the relationship wounds. So thank you for that one. Let's see. I think we'll try to take about two more. Uh, I just left an abusive marriage that was also narcissistic. And I just met this amazing person who now says they are polyamorous. Communication and vulnerability with this person is amazing. But this relationship is causing me to have triggers and feel insecure. What should I do? Oof. <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. uh, so this is this is uh, I think this is uh, I think spirit kind of coined this or, or said it as like consensual non-monogamy uh, or polyamory um, but yeah it sounds like uh, they were in a, a marriage before that was uh, sounds like it was a bit toxic if the person you know I don't know if diagnosed but you know maybe exhibited some narcissistic behaviors uh, and you know was kind of abusive and I don't know if that was physical or emotional or psychological, uh, verbal, uh, but any abuses is going to be hurtful and damaging. Um, and so I think that like, you know, trying to heal from that is really important. Uh, and moving into a new space where it sounds like maybe this, this new person is wonderful and they've had some good times and also they are uh, pushing maybe the boundaries that this other person is used to and that might feel uncomfortable and, and feel a lot different. And if we're coming from a place of where we've been, you know, felt unsafe in that relationship before or in an unsafe space, uh, something new and unfamiliar might also feel unsafe. Uh, so I don't I don't want the, you know, kind of the person to think that they, you know, because this person is great, this new individual is amazing, um, that they also need to put aside uh, some of those maybe gut feelings or, you know, the triggers that are happening. Uh, that they need to kind of sit with that and understand where that stuff is coming from. Uh, recognize that you've come out of something that was toxic and possibly traumatic. And that as a result of that, uh, you know, maybe you felt unsafe at times. And that this new relationship, while it is uh, fantastic and, and, and giving you what you need, is also stretching you in a way that maybe is making you uncomfortable. And for you to be able to talk about that stuff with the other individual. Um, I also don't think that if, uh, you know, trying to push through uh, things that aren't, you know, as comfortable for us, if we're not ready, uh, it's important to kind of discuss that and place whatever boundaries you need 
um, you know, trying to, I think, reestablish or, or, or kind of uh, identify safety again uh, in a new relationship and be accepted and, and, and create that trust is difficult after coming out of something that is toxic. Uh, so I'm, you know, also kind of being, I guess, cautioning against uh, getting getting to a place of where you're uh, advancing faster than you're okay or comfortable with uh, to try to maybe please or be there for another person. Maybe that's something that happened in this previous relationship. If, if the person was truly kind of narcissistic, that you had to kind of give up uh, your your autonomy or your needs and kind of cater to the other person to make them okay. And I don't want you to kind of enter into a new relationship on that same foundation, right? That you're starting on, from a place of where the other person gets to present as is, and you have to be okay with everything. Um, I don't want you neglecting kind of your own needs and uh, not exercising agency in the relationship. So it would be important for you to have those conversations. And if this person is as amazing as you say, and you guys are having that connection, then I think communication about this stuff would be accepted and, and appropriate. Uh, and if you're getting something different, then that's I wouldn't take ownership over that. Uh, but you have a right to kind of establish boundaries again that make you feel comfortable and safe and not to have to neglect your own needs. Uh, so it's 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 a difficult thing to move out of something that wasn't good and wasn't you know beneficial for us and trying to move forward into something that is and then that not also feel familiar. Right. Like I think we might get used to uh, when we come out of places where environments were toxic, we get used to that toxicity. And it's sometimes hard to let go of that stuff so that if something is, uh, you know, OK or different from what we have, it, it's it's a little bit more difficult for us to be OK or to try to find or establish comfort. Um, but it sounds like she's trying to stay stay connected or they are trying to stay connected uh, and, and be involved in, in, in the space and just wanting to know how to uh, be able to move forward with that. So the feelings of insecurity I don't think are really uh, about about you, right? Like that, you know, I mean, I guess you are kind of experiencing that for sure, but it may not be indicative or defined that you have the problem, right? That maybe you know, being in this new space and in this new relationship isn't one that is you've defined as safe or okay for you yet. And the insecurity might be you wanting to make that happen and faster or, you know, before you're ready to do so. And I think kind of doing some of your own work to find out what you need and being able to voice that stuff so that things are happening in an equitable way is going to be really important. Mm-hmm. I would agree with all that you said. So important. And uh, for those who didn't catch it or had not heard the uh, term before in terms of polyamorous, it's being in an intimate relationship with more than one person. Um, and there is informed consent of all partners that are involved. And so it's consensual and ethical, responsible, non-monogamy relationship with more than one partner. And so as Stevon was sharing, if you uh, are coming out of an abusive marriage, and particularly if you were married to a narcissist, often in those marriages, you lost your voice, right? That what you wanted, what you needed wasn't important. And so in order for you to really be able to consent to something, it requires uh, a, a clarity about what you really want, what you really need, and being able to communicate that without um, uh, feeling pressured or triggered. And so I'm highlighting, as Stevan was naming earlier, the importance of language that you wrote, I just left an abusive marriage. So to me, that sounds like it was very recent. And so I would just encourage uh, caution 
so that you can take the time uh, to reclaim your voice, uh, to get uh, clarity about uh, what you want, what you need, what you desire uh, in a relationship. And so, as you mentioned, the communication and, and vulnerability um, with this person is important. And it is very critical to be able to have communication and vulnerability. Um, but whenever we are feeling triggered or insecure, there's, you know, two components happening. One is, is it just relating with someone in general is triggering because I have come out of a relationship, but specifically you named that this part of it um, is, is triggering and creates insecurity for you. So I would encourage you not to ignore that, not to dismiss it, uh, that sometimes uh, we are so glad to be treated better that we can ignore the reaction that we are having within ourselves. And so, yes, acknowledge what feels good and what feels right, but also do not dismiss uh the response that you are having. Don't just chalk it up to, oh, it's because I'm a trauma survivor, that if something feels uncomfortable to me, doesn't feel aligned with me, it's creating distress for me, then uh, when you talked about that communication, you want to be able to not only talk about that with them, but really explore that within yourself, uh, because it is a lot to heal. And especially if we are trying to heal in a relationship um, that is also creating uh, some concern, distress, or insecurity. And so thank you so much for that question. For our last one, I think I'm going to read um, two of them together because, uh, and Stevon will catch it, there are there's similar themes that are happening here. So uh, let's see here, and maybe I'll try to, uh, abbreviate. Um, I was go a few months ago. I was ghosted by a guy I started dating, and that led to a lot of heartache and sadness. And as I tried to work through it, it was really difficult. I just couldn't seem to let go. However, your podcasts were inspiring and helped me focus on growing myself, and that gave me something to look forward to on my walk. But he reached out to wish me a happy birthday two months after he ghosted me. And I was quite frustrated and went to his house and confronted him about the way he treated me and how since his solution to things was to run away, he never knew what pain he caused people. When he came around the corner, I could immediately see a wall go up and I didn't know how much I was going to get through to him. He also teared up as I started recalling how he decided to leave things, but shortly he got it under control since I guess he didn't feel that he could express his emotions, even though I always encouraged it when we were dating. I was wondering if you could do a podcast on something related to toxic masculinity, since I feel like in Western culture, it is something that is prevalent and often not addressed. But to finish my story, after I confronted him about it, I really felt like I was able to come home to myself a little more. I felt happier and lighter and more connected to me instead of having these what-ifs and the fantasy about the past holding me back. I also am religious and had prayed that day before he even had messaged me that I could start to forgive him. I think that also helped take a burden off my shoulders. 
I would love to hear an episode about emotionally unavailable people, whether temporarily or chronically. I feel deep in my gut that this person is the one if that exists. We've had amazing chemistry since we met a year ago and have become extremely close. It feels like we're in love, but it's only been indirectly, cryptically communicated. We've had bursts of intimacy throughout the past year, but are still waiting for the timing to be right. But when will it ever be right? Anyway, I would love to hear your thoughts. I believe he is emotionally unavailable temporarily because he had a really bad breakup four years ago and has been filling himself with hookups ever since. I think he's scared of love. All right. So, Devon, we had toxic masculinity, emotionally unavailable. (laughs) What, What say you? To all Ooh, of this, these fellas getting beat up over here. Huh? They, <laughs> <laughs> not they, their behavior is not showing up in in the way that people are wanting it. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess to kind of I guess start with the, the area of toxic masculinity, I, uh, men are allowed to kind of engage in things or in behavior uh, that really is hurtful to others and isn't really kind of you know uplifting for themselves in, in a way. Uh, and it's a lot of the stereotypes that we have about men. Uh, you know, some of the language around boys will just be boys or uh, you know, allowing you know, promiscuity to be OK for men and not for women. Uh, some of that double standard. Um, and so in this one that's ghosted, I guess, from like kind of the, the theme I'm hearing for both of these a little bit is around closure. Um, that for us, I think, as human beings, uh, we like to make sense of the world. Uh, mm-hmm. We like to align and be able to connect the dots. Uh, and when that doesn't happen, it leaves a lot to question. And uncertainty is not a comfortable place or space to be in. Um, so it sounds like when the guy ghosted uh, this individual that uh, it, it led to hurt. And I'm reading in there some anger, which is appropriate, uh, right? Like, because, you know, it, sa- it seemed or felt like the relationship was headed in a really good direction and that they were kind of, you know, on the same page about it. And then out of nowhere, this person just stops. And so for that for, for me, I'm thinking that would be very confusing. Um, and so I would want to know why. And it, depending on kind of where I am in my own kind of perception of self uh, and, you know, the work I've done on me and my, my own level of confidence, uh, I might tend to question, you know, if it were something I did that made that happen. I also don't know the history of other relationships. If this is a behavior that's happened before, uh, when been ghosted, that could also impact that. Um, I know that I work with individuals that struggle, struggle with imposter syndrome. Uh, so they have a lot of self-doubt. So part of me, as I'm reading it, you know, while, you know, I don't think that the the, the guy, he definitely, uh, you know, could have handled that better and didn't need to ghost a person. And I would hope that if you don't want to be in a relationship with someone, that you can have that conversation with that individual if it's safe to do so. Uh, again, just to allow people to have their own level of closure, that there's no law, I think, that says that you have to remain uh, in a relationship with someone. Uh, people get divorces, people uh, leave ex relationships. I'm not saying that's the thing to do. I'm also saying that staying in a relationship that you don't want to be in or be a part of is also not the thing to do. Um, but part of it that came out was that it's she, she mentioned he was tearful. Uh, so, I, you know, that struck me as odd that if if he, you know, I guess ghosted and didn't want to be a part of the relationship, that tear tearing up, I don't know if that was you know, emotion of sadness or if that was out of anger and frustration that she showed up at his house. Um, but, it, you know, to read into the behavior to say that he absolutely, you know, is a jerk. I, I don't know that I, I would caution against kind of 
you know, defining how others behavior, uh, what that means. I'm a proponent or a huge proponent really of asking people what they, what the behavior that I'm seeing means, right? So that if, if, if he's a person that say he didn't feel as though uh, he could be the person that she needed, uh, then maybe there's some shame or guilt there and that he might decide, uh, you know, again, incorrectly that uh, maybe they would be better off without him or that maybe something in her triggered something with him. That doesn't mean that, that his behavior was okay. You know, that's, that's an explanation, but it's not saying, you know, it's excusing his behavior. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just saying that he might be also dealing with some things that it wasn't really about you and it might be about himself. So I don't want us to start to take ownership over the behavior of others uh, to say that what they're, what we're seeing from them is a direct result of who we are or what we've done. Um, in terms of the the chemistry and kind of explaining away the bad breakup uh, and, and kind of saying that, you know, I think he's scared of love, that that is a possibility. That is one interpretation. It could be a thing of where that would fall into the toxic masculinity kind of bucket of where, you know, I've been hurt uh, by a woman and now or in a past relationship. And now I want to go out and use, you know, women or use relationships or romance in a way that, you know, maybe I am also hurting others because I felt so much pain. Um, also, it could be a thing of where this person just genuinely has made a decision that they don't want to be in a committed long term relationship, um, you know, regardless of how good things are going. And it seems like it makes, you know, the most logical sense that the next step would be for us to be committed to one another. This person may not be there anymore. They may have gotten to a place in their life where they don't see uh, being in a committed uh, relationship is, is for them. And so they are OK or comfortable with having hookups. Um, that's not for us to to judge, uh, so to speak, that that's behavior is wrong or inappropriate. Uh, what we can do is say that that behavior is not something that I want to be a part of. Right. And so if that's that's something you aren't OK with. then you have a right as well to not be in a relationship with the person. And I think I want to also kind of, uh, you know, caution against the part of where I heard or I think uh, you mentioned that the person said this. I think this is the, the person for me. If that's a thing. Uh, again, those those narratives that we create about others and about relationships is really important to monitor uh, that if you made a decision that this is the person for you, I'm hoping that that person has also made a similar decision about you in their life. Uh, mm -hmm. If that ha hasn't happened, then maybe we need to kind of, I guess, you know, reflect back on if that's, you know, the person for you per se. Uh, and I think, you know, Dr. T, you were kind of uh, mentioning some of that earlier in one of the earlier questions about whether or not, you know, I choose me, right? And mm -hmm. so I think it's, it's one of those things of where if you determine this, uh, maybe a check-in with the other person about uh, why, you know, what their behavior is. You're seeing them not commit what that what that's about and have them explain it to you for you not to interpret uh, and, and assign meaning to that. And also for you to say, hey, do you feel that I'm also the one and what would that look like? Uh, and if it fits with what you know you're wanting in a relationship, by all means, try to see what you guys can establish. But if it's not, then you may have to come to the realization that maybe this isn't the one or it's not the one for you. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. A number of really important points and insights. And I would just uh, support that and say for the first person who was ghosted, I'm glad that you were able to work through it. And what I heard you saying in terms of what helped you was doing your internal work and internal healing, uh, needing to be able to communicate or confront to express your feelings to this person, and then with your spirituality and using your faith to cope. 
Um, the only caution I would give is uh, about showing up at someone's home. Uh, that can lead to all kinds of things, uh, unannounced or uninvited. Um, but I would just also raise for people that uh, sometimes when people have not given you an opportunity to speak, as Devon was naming, we can feel like there's a lack of closure. So it's one thing when I am waiting for someone to give me answers and the answers may be something I don't like or they might not know the answer. They just are out here doing what they're doing. So I would never want to hold up my healing waiting for their answers. But if on the other hand, there is something that I want to express that how you treated me was not okay, right? That I want to communicate that was unacceptable or that was immature, that was disrespectful, that wasn't caring, um, then you may, you know, you may find some relief in that. And what the first writer shared was that when she was able to speak that to him, uh, there was some uh, relief, some lightness in terms of the burden uh, that emotionally that she had been carrying. Uh, in terms of uh, the second person who, you know, talked about uh, that maybe this person is emotionally unavailable because they had a bad breakup four years ago. And so now they're filling themselves with hookups. I think, as Devon says, often we are trying to make meaning of things. And that's a natural part of our human experience. What you want to be careful about is uh, what you want. Uh, and I'm guessing from how you're writing is partnership and not a project. And sometimes we sign up for a project because we say, I'm going to heal this person, right? I'm going to fix them with my love, that they are broken and wounded. And even though they're saying they don't want me, right, I'm not hearing that because I'm thinking, oh, it's not that they like sleeping around, that they're wounded. And so if I just keep loving them, then somehow I'll win them over. So I want, and that's not what you were saying, but if we take that all the way to its full expression, sometimes it can cause us to be in relationship or to be on hold with people who we want something for them they don't want for themselves. So we want to be careful about uh, diagnosing, interpreting, um, assuming what a person's wound is. It is really, really important as we start to work through that, to not lose sight of ourselves. And so I am so appreciative of you all's questions this week and Stevon of your responses. And I hope that those were helpful as we continue to think about our healing and the healing of our relationships. And I didn't uh, ask Stevon this ahead of time, but usually we give a homework assignment. And so for those who are in a relationship, whether dating in a relationship or married, can you provide a homework of something people can do to nourish their relationships this week, uh, to improve their intimacy this week? Uh, anything come to mind? For sure. Uh, 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 I guess uh, one thing that sticks out is that uh, sometimes then we're in a relationship and if it's been long term, you know, things can get a little bit uh, stale. And, you know, there that there's the, the idea of like who's going to bring the, the romance or, you know, kind of plan for us to do things. Uh, an activity I like is to kind of have people uh, write down on sheets of paper uh, different things that they would like to do. And, you know, you can put it in a jar and uh, you guys choose a day to kind of choose one of those activities 
uh, for you to engage in. So that way it's equitable. It's not we're always doing or feeling like we're doing what one person's uh, wanting to do and I'm having to neglect uh, my own interest or things that are fun for me, uh, that it'll be, you know, kind of a toss up, right? Like it'll be fair for, you know, I put five things in, my partner puts five things in. We're going to do one of those together. Uh, I think that would be really good. Also, I think we, oh, go for it. No, I love it. Continue. Oh, yeah. And I was going to say the other thing is uh, I think, you know, something that partners can do is to kind of talk about, uh, I think, uh, kind of like I do this for individuals, like a gratitude journal. But oftentimes it's good for partners to share with each other what they are appreciating about the relationship. Um, you know, I think oftentimes we can get in the space of when we're in relationship of sharing what we don't like. Uh, and we can kind of, you know, have complaints, which I'm not saying we don't have, like, right, our needs need to be met and we need to be able to communicate that to our partners. But I also think we don't also celebrate or oftentimes, you know, kind of share, hey, here's what I really appreciated. You did this thing I liked and I wanted to tell you about that. Or here's what I really appreciate about our relationship uh, on a, just a daily basis. Like it's not anything special that you really did, but it's special to me because of the way you showed up. And I appreciate that. Uh, it's really good to hear, even if the person doesn't make a big deal out of it. Uh, but I think it feels good. It's just like a, a job. I think of when, you know, I don't know that I need daily praise from my supervisor uh, that I am doing a good job, but also I don't want to hear nothing about the job I'm doing. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. So enjoying activities together, expressing gratitude for each other. And then I'll say for our single listeners this week, this one of the things that you're hoping a future partner will do for you, if you can do for yourself this week so that your life is not on hold. And I saw one of my good friends on Instagram recently posted a beautiful bouquet of flowers that she bought herself. And so I, for us to love on ourselves, and I know that is not the same thing as having a companion or a partner, but in the meantime, and even when you're in relationship, you want to continue to have love for yourself. So I am excited about you all and where you are in the journey home and how that shows up in your relationship with yourself and with others. Stevon, let people know how they can follow you either on social media or on your website. For sure. Uh, so I can be found if you uh, Google my name, Stevon Lewis, uh, all my stuff comes up, uh, S-T-E-V-O-N, like Steven, but O-N, my mom got creative. Uh, you it, can my website is stevonlewis.com, so it's really uh, straightforward. And on Instagram, I'm at Stevon Lewis MFT, uh, the letters Mary Francis Thomas at the end. Uh, and that's where you can find me. I try probably most active on that platform as opposed to others. Uh, and also I have connections to the other uh, kind of platforms I'm on based, based on uh, Instagram. Thank you again for being with us. And for our listeners, I invite your soul to tell your heart, mind, body and spirit. Welcome home. <laughs>